All right, we're in week eight of college football. Welcome to Stupid vs. the Spread. I am Alex. That's Mike. Uh, let's just dive right into some coaching issues. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, probably persona non grata right now <clears throat> over at uh, A&M. I saw a lot of vocal calls for his firing this week as opposed to previous weeks. I don't know about you, Mike. Uh, I think it's an amalgamation of the last two weeks with like the cowardly play calling against Alabama in a game they definitely had a chance to win. Um, I think he went or he punted twice in plus territory on fourth and less than three, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, which is uh, not going to win you many SEC football games against teams that are generally Very better correct. than you. Um, and then on top of that, this week they just they come out flat again on offense uh, in a loss at um, Tennessee. And now they're staring down the barrel of like eight and four at best. Um, and it's just, I think it's becoming like this guy was hired to bring a national title um, to Texas A&M. He has the talent presumably to do it. And for his own like stupidity almost, they just can't get it done. So I, yeah, I think, um, I think I think the writing's on the wall because like I, I don't know that it, right the buyout the buyout is so much money it's I think seventy five or ninety five million dollars yeah it's an it excessive amount it doesn't drop next year either so if if like the Texas A and M boosters have so much money and if they're convinced that he's not the guy there is a world where they decide to let him go I, I you would have thought Petrino would have helped but it just seems like the puzzle pieces just aren't fitting together. Like they just, when they have a decent offense, they can't stop people. When they have a good defense, they can't score. They like, they just can't get on a consistent basis. And then even if they have a, a good team, he makes coaching mistakes that like you can't make and expect to win. Um, And so it's, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Like they seem hopeless. Um, Not the, not like the program itself, program, the, right. the fan it's base the coaching, right. feels like, it, and it's because, you know, Jimbo's coaching feels like it's not going to change, which it probably isn't at this point. So as crazy as it sounds, like maybe, maybe they just need to cut it. I think, you know, there's the cover three podcast talked about it. I think a couple of days ago where, if they don't have somebody they know they're going to be able to get, they're not going to cut them loose. Like they right. need to, they are not going to move on unless they know that like somebody who everybody thinks is like the guy is on the, is there and has said, you know, through intermediaries, like I will take the job if you fire uh, Jimbo, like unless that is all lined up that he's not getting fired. Yeah, I agree. And, and, I think, like, too, even if he wins out, I don't know. Like, maybe if you beat both Mississippi and LSU at the end of the year, there is, you know, some hope. I don't know that with the current trajectory, losing to Alabama and Tennessee in back-to-back weeks, basically have never won a away game against a ranked opponent in your, you know, multiple years of coaching. I think it wouldn't surprise me if Jimbo's gone. I, I noticed, I did notice a lot of like the well-known fans um, in social media were particularly the most vocal this past week uh, talking about his firing. And then, you know, 
I think when you look at it, A&M has had the talent to produce and they just haven't. And I think that's the biggest, obviously, problem is that it's not just about one year. It's about multiple years of failure or what is viewed as failure kind of compounding in a in a way that it's going to be hard for Jimbo to retain his job, I think, over the next two years if this is like the ceiling that they reach, essentially. Yeah, and like, you know, we're assuming here that they – like seven and six and six is very on the table. Um, yes. yes like it is. seven and five is on the table, which I think puts him very much in the danger zone. Eight and four, you know, he might be able to make an argument that he gets another, like a, a good crack at next year. But if it's seven and five or worse, and he still, they guys still got to go to Ole Miss, who's 13th, and to LSU last week of the season, who's ranked 19th. And LSU is yeah. playing better than Ole Miss. And I can make the argument both of those teams are better than Tennessee. So uh, like, yeah, I was like, going to say. You, I don't understand. It, like, this might get worse uh, towards the end of this year, especially if the players lose belief. Because, like, you know, these have been close, competitive games. They've been tough, but, like, they haven't pulled them out. And, and like, South Carolina, I know it's at home, is not a walk in the park. Uh, next weekend. Nope. Um, luckily, they'll be com- Texas A&M will be coming off a bye. South Carolina plays Missouri this weekend, and Texas A&M matches up pretty well because their defensive line um, is going to overwhelm South Carolina's offensive line. But like, if that goes sideways, six and six is very much. And even then, like Miss, like Mississippi State probably will give them a game because they're going to see them as a team they can pick off. Like it's Correct. not good for Jimbo. Yeah, and and I think you're right when you say like eight and four would be, I think very optimistic at this point, right? Like I, you're looking at, you would have to basically beat Mississippi or LSU and then win out the rest. I don't know that that's happening for this Texas A&M team. You know. Yeah, I like. Yeah, you well, you'd have to beat one of Ole Miss or LSU. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I don't necessarily think I see that happening. Yeah, I don't see it. Like, I, yeah, I, I, sorry, I, I thought you said you'd have to be both of them. No, you, but like, yeah, I don't know which one of those. Like, I think right now you would say you're probably more likely to beat Ole Miss if you can slow them down. Like, their defense is not good. Now, granted, neither is LSU's, but like, you have a way, I think you have a way smaller chance of slowing down Jaden Daniels the way he's playing. So it's, uh, yeah, it's not good. Yeah. And then uh, on the other side of this is. The other side of this coaching discussion is is Mario Cristobal with Miami. I know we missed it last week, but essentially lost the game for your team. And what is essentially the most incompetent coaching decision I've ever seen on a football field where it's under 40 seconds, you have the ball, the other team has no timeouts, and it's not fourth down. Do you kneel the ball out to win the game, or do you run the ball? And they choose to run the ball, they fumble, and then they lose the game because of it. Mind-bogglingly stupid. Um, and then obviously going into UNC last week, like he, they played okay, but it's just like, at what point, if you're a player, are you just quitting on like your team for this year because of the lack of competency? It's not like you were rolling in, you know, with a amazing time and your first loss is, is Georgia tech that you should have won. Yeah. I mean like, yeah, we've, We've been on the Mario as a fraud train for a couple mm. years now. Like every year that he went into since he's been coaching Utah, every year he went into Utah as Oregon's coach and just got smacked around. Even though he's yep. like a 
in the trenches guy. Um, it, like we, we, you and I have been very much on the Mario's a fraud sort of train. He can recruit, he can't coach. And he's made the same, he made the same mistake before at, at Oregon with Stan, uh, playing Stanford. You know, the, the same mistake that he made against, uh, against Georgia Tech that cost him the game. And he, like, go, coming off of a game they he lost them, then going into a big primetime night spot, he did what he did at Oregon, which is lose big games. And, like, yeah, they played well. But Tyler Van Dyke threw three picks. They, you know, UNC took their best punch in the mouth, punched them right back in the second half, scoring 21. And Miami just had no answers. And Mario Cristobal is also an offensive guy. Like, it, it's... So, and UNC's defense is better this year. Don't get me wrong. Like, we're, we mm-hmm. are playing a lot better, but we are not playing 21 unanswered when you have Tyler Van Dyke. Uh, that we are not playing that much better than you. So, it is right. um, like, yeah, I, I think they're in trouble. I'm, uh, I'm on them this week. Uh, just because I think that there's a little bit of an overreaction to like his incompetency. But I think long term, like this is the same song and dance from Mario. Um, and I think, you know, overall, the the reaction to him losing that game is one thing. But I, I don't think enough people are talking about the fact that Mario has just not gotten it done and not elevated. He is he he did exactly what he needed to do at Oregon after Willie Taggart left, which was take a program that was in a state of flux, stabilize it, bring in recruits, and bring them back to like a nine ten win team consistently every year. The problem is he can't get past that. And as much as everybody gives James Franklin like a ton of crap for not being able to win games in the Big Ten East, he he loses to the same two teams every year who are bona fide powerhouses in Ohio State and Michigan. Like one of those mm-hmm. teams has made every single playoff that has ever existed, right, besides one. Um, like Mario has not gotten it done at – at Oregon and now he's at Miami, his alma mater, and he's just doing the same thing again. So it's uh yeah, I I I think this might go he's he's still recruiting at a very high level. He's recruiting the best, I think, in the ACC, um, maybe besides Florida State. Uh but like if he can't coach him up and get it done, nothing's gonna change. And you and I have been on that train and I'll stay on that train until he proves me wrong. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat with you. Well we're kind of approaching midway through the season. I think we're about essentially dead middle, um, maybe even a little past it, I guess, for regular season, if you're not counting conference championships. Who do you see winning each conference of the big of uh, Power Five? And then who, who do you have as your top four in the college football playoff, Mike? Uh, okay, I'll try to do these from memory. Um, so in the ACC, I still think it's Florida State. I don't think they get through the season undefeated. Um I agree neither with will, you on Florida State. Yeah, neither will North Carolina. I think they play North Carolina in the championship game. Um, because I think I think North Carolina loses one of their last three games, which they get Duke at home, go to Clemson, and go to NC State. Um, I don't think they lose two. Uh, just because I think they're a very well-rounded team that is going to – like the problem is they're going to travel well because Drake May is very good. So – like for for us, I'm talking about for us losing multiple games down the stretch, like we did last year. Uh, like the defense played better, but Drake didn't play as well down the down the stretch last year. 
and they just lost some fluky games. I think they learned a lot from that. And I think if he does struggle, the defense can at least keep them in games until he figures it out. And, um, and so I think that there's, they, they lose it. They probably lose a game. I don't think they lose two. everything in between. Like they it's Virginia this week. I think Campbell next week. Uh, and then it's Duke. So coming down the stretch, they get two tomato cans essentially before you get into the meat of your schedule. And, you know, Riley Leonard is, is supposed to be back in at least a couple of weeks, but if he's not a hundred percent for that game, that Duke game becomes a lot easier. So I think it's UNC and Florida State in the championship game. I'm going to take Florida State um, just because I think they figured out. I also think they lose a game. I don't know where it's going to happen, but I just – and that's why I'm – like I think Florida State should win and cover this week. I'm not going to take them because there's a there's a snoozer in here somewhere, and I don't know when it's coming. Um, so I, I don't see Florida State getting through undefeated, but I see them as a one-loss conference champ. Um Big Ten, I think it's Michigan. Like, Michigan, I don't – Ohio State hasn't shown me anything this year that makes me think that they're not going to do exactly what they've done the past few years against Michigan. And I think there's a chance they lose to Penn State this week. Penn State's just not well-rounded enough to beat Michigan, I think, this year. I think next year is probably the year that Penn State picks one or both of these two teams off. Um, fittingly, in, in in the year that they don't have divisions anymore. And it yeah, might be I- that they, might mean that they don't actually win the conference, which would be very funny. Um, I also agree, by, by the way, on both of these. I think Florida State's just overall the better team. I, I know that, you know, ACC, it wouldn't shock me if, if North Carolina pulls ahead. But, um, you know, from, from Florida State's perspective, I mean, they have a pretty strong schedule. Um, and, I mean, this will feed into what I who I think is going to make the playoffs. But, uh, you know. I think Florida State's a very well-rounded team, and I think Michigan's just the best team in the Big Ten. I think I think Ohio they might be State, the best I, team in the country. Like they, like I, we don't I know would, because they haven't really played anybody. But if they just keep doing this, like yeah, they're probably the best team in the country. Yeah, my only counter to that would be that they're not. They probably are the best team in the country. They're probably not going to get ranked ahead of Georgia if Georgia remains undefeated. Yeah, um, I, I don't think even so. if they are actually the better team. Yeah. No, I just think overall they might be the best team in the country. And there's no reason to pick against them right now until Penn State. I, I mean, I think Penn State is one of – I think it's just Penn State and Oklahoma who have won and covered every game this year. Um, but I, I just Penn, – Penn State has not played enough of a complete game. Like Michigan is playing complete games every single week. Now, the only knock on them is that they're not playing anybody, and they struggle a little bit in the first quarter against Indiana this week, but they, they ended up winning like 52 to seven. Um, so if you want to say that that's like their weakness was a little bit of a snoozer at home against Indiana, sure. But otherwise they've been pretty much perfect. Um, Penn state has definitely had like the first half against Northwestern was a, definitely a snoozer game and they just haven't blocked as well as their talent says they should be able to. So it's, um, I, I need to see that before I consider anybody else in the Big Ten. That's fair. That's fair. Um, also, we, there's a chance. There's a chance Iowa goes eleven and one. No. I look, dude. This is a weird side, like weird tangent. But look at their schedule. They have. They get Minnesota this week, who I've been very vocal about is hot garbage. They just beat. Uh, 
They they lost Eric All, which I don't know how they're going to move the ball on offense. But they get Minnesota at home at Northwestern. They get Rutgers at home. They get Illinois at home, and they go to Nebraska. Like they, I think Rutgers, that Rutgers is going to win that game. But if we have to look at a God, that would be such an annoying conversation to have. Like, why isn't Iowa in the football playoffs at eleven? I mean, they they may be eleven and one going to the Big Ten championship game. They're going to lose by sixty five. But they yes. may be eleven and one going into the Big Ten championship game. I, or yeah. Ten, like, yeah. Despite oh, the fact that they don't throw the ball. That out. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I I think Texas winning the Big Twelve too. I just don't see anybody coming up um outside of that. You know what I mean? Like I it's tough because I don't think who? Oklahoma's performance was a fluke. In the Red I River do. game, I don't. I, I think they played really well. Like I, I can they play that well again is maybe the question. But they definitely didn't win that game in a fluky way. They won it because they beat Texas, and they were the they won because they were the better team that day. The question yeah, is, yeah, can, yeah. They, can they do that again? And will Texas play a less imperfect game than they played because they did have you know Ewers turned the ball over. Sark had some questionable decisions on on fourth down there. I think they missed a kick or two. They had a block punt, something like that. Like they, or no, uh, Oklahoma had the block punt, didn't they? God, these weeks are blending together. Anyway, what I'm saying is, as as strong a performance as Oklahoma had, I don't know that they can do it again and necessarily come out with a victory. And that was a neutral field, so it's. Uh, you know, it's going to be pretty close. It'd be hard. It'd be really hard for Oklahoma to do that again. So I think you're right. I think Texas ends up winning. Um, I think it almost would have been better if Oklahoma had lost that game um, because they get the, you know, they would get the win at the end of the season if you're saying they're going to split. Um, but I, I agree. I think ultimately it's Texas, but, you know, they haven't, Texas has not, been as completely flawless but obviously you know they lost a game but even in the games that they've won you know Kansas specifically is one that I can think of where you know the final score is not necessarily indicative of how they played in that game they left a lot of points on the table they dominated the game but weren't dominating the scoreboard through the first like 37 minutes um so I just I think they're I think Texas is a very imperfect team and is not playing up to their true potential week in, week out, whereas I think Oklahoma sort of is, besides, like, one game against, uh, uh, like, SMU. Uh, they Oklahoma is playing really, really well. So I, I think it'll be very close, but I think you're right. I think Texas ultimately wins. I agree. I, I also have uh, Washington coming out of the Pac-12, and then I don't think it shocks anybody, but Georgia out of the SEC. Um I, I think Washington really impressed me with how they were able to kind of work their way back with Oregon, battle through that, win the game. Uh, and I just don't see anybody beating Georgia unless Alabama gets lucky in the ACC or uh, the SEC final. Um, and I don't even know that Alabama is guaranteed to get there because LSU has, I think, a better chance if they win out. I think LSU's in. Um, no, they have so, two yeah. losses. Right, but from – from the uh, East, who comes in? From it's the East? Between, 
I'm sorry, the West. It's Alabama, LSU, Mississippi. I mean, it's not going to be A&M, and it's certainly not Auburn. No, Arkansas. but Bama, Bama would Bama would still go even if they lose to LSU because they only have one conference loss. There are their losses to Texas. Mm, yeah, good call. Yeah, I, yes, I could see Alabama pulling out there and, and coming out on top, but I think Georgia still far and away is the much better team. It would surprise me if Alabama wins there. I, I think that game will be closer than most people will think it, it, it is. I, I think Bowers comes back for that game. And I think like I think that spread might end up being like 10. And if it's anything more than a touchdown, I'd be very inclined to take Alabama. Just oh, yeah. I think, no, I would agree with that. I think they're playing much better now that um, – they're playing much better now that Milrow is just the guy. And, like – Yes, Georgia looked very dominant against K- Kentucky. By the way, I was that was the last podcast we did. I've never been more right about a game in my entire life uh, than, than Georgia-Kentucky. I was all over that one. I was very wrong about Notre Dame going to Louisville, um, but I was very right about Georgia against Kentucky. I don't think that that's necessarily – I think that matchup was like perfectly tailor-made for Georgia ass-kicking. I don't know that we see that necessarily again the rest of the way, especially without Bowers. So I think that there's a chance, and I and that's just because I don't think this Georgia team is as good. Um, I think Carson Beck's pretty good, and I think he's really pretty underrated. Um, so I think ultimately Georgia would probably win, but I, I think that game would be a lot closer than most people would expect. Um, but yeah, I I think. I'm inclined to agree on Georgia winning the SEC just because I, I do think they're the best team, though I don't think they're completely miles ahead like they've been the past couple of years. Uh, Washington is in the driver's seat, um, but they did away with divisions. So Oregon may get another crack at them uh, if they win out. Now, that's a tall order for Oregon. But if Oregon I think can- Oregon State has a better chance than Oregon of, of making the championship game. That's my take. Uh, That's my hot take. My only like that that Oregon Oregon State game may very well be to decide who goes mm-hmm. because Oregon State still has to play Washington. Correct. Um, and if presumably if USC slips up, because the only problem here is USC also doesn't have a conference loss, so USC is still technically in first. Um, Correct. USC's next couple games though are Utah. Cal, Washington, Oregon, U, uh, UCLA. Oh, they, so it's they, not like I didn't realize not, they get them both. Yeah, they're not they're not going to make it through undefeated in conference play. They'll probably lose two games. If um, they do, it will be very impressive compared to what we saw uh, on Saturday against Notre Dame. I, I I'm going to zig here. I'm I'm very high on Washington, but I'm going to take Oregon in a rematch on a neutral field. Okay, and because it's. Because it was a very close game. That game will be played in Vegas indoors, so no win for the kick. Um, game was at Washington, obviously. So, you know, you think Oregon probably is a better shot on a neutral field for obvious reasons. And I think Dan Lanning, like that game was really on Dan Lanning. Um, I don't necessarily hate the call. It's just more the outcome. Bonex didn't play particularly well. So if you get a better performance from him, um, you have a real shot. So I think that there's a chance that uh, Oregon would win that rematch. And I just go back to like, it's very hard to beat a team twice, especially in a game that was that close the first time. So 
Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna zig here, and I'm gonna say Oregon wins, and then uh, that would make my playoff. I believe this would be like a nightmare scenario because somebody's getting left out. Uh, I think it would be Georgia, Michigan, um, probably Oregon and Texas, and then you leave out Florida State. Um, mm. And the only reason being is like like the other two teams. Like presuming that Georgia and Michigan go undefeated, right? Which I think I think we're both very on board with that thought. Yeah. So if if you have if you have three the other three power or power five conference champs, all of them have one loss, but two of them have avenged their only loss. Um, yeah, I think that that's sort of how that would play out. Would be Oregon and Texas would go because they avenged their only losses. And Florida State, assuming they they kick a can down the line, um, wouldn't have a chance to get that game back. Because if we're saying that North Carolina is tracking to go, they don't play them in the regular season. Um, right, so it's all about who who wins. Yeah, I, I don't even – so Florida State, I don't think gets Louisville either. And those are the only two teams that uh, that can realistically make the, the ACC championship game besides Duke. Yeah, I so I have Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, and Washington. Um, I think Florida State has enough good wins to justify a loss, and in theory, the college uh, conference championship games do not count towards who makes the college football playoff, at least by what the um, voters say. Now, I don't believe that in its entirety. I think each voter is very different. Um, well, conference championships definitely matter. Because that's why they left. Well, they matter. Not, when, they matter when they want them to matter. Because Correct. they left. Oh, Penn State out when they won it that year. Correct. Um, so they matter. I, I, I think it, they do. They do consider it. By what they've pushed out, they are not supposed to. I don't think that is the case, though. Is is more to my point. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think Washington, Florida State, just have better wins. I think whoever comes out of the Pac-12, almost regardless of record, really has earned a, a bid to the the college football playoff. Honestly, um, I mean you're probably right. But if they have two losses and the rest of the Power Five champs have one, I don't know that they're going to leapfrog anybody. Uh, I think they. I honestly think they might. I think they might take into account strength of schedule, and then that really means like who are you of the five power five conferences who are you leaving off i don't know that they're going to leave off um the acc over the big 12 right i don't think there's prestige in either of those like historically i think they just go off of who played the best games and who had the best record i think i think when you examine that florida state edges out over texas if we're talking about both teams having about the same record I think you're right, but I don't think that they would leave one of those teams out over a two-loss Pac-12. The only scenario where I could see it happening is a two-loss Pac-12 champ who avenges one of those losses, and then the ACC champ is North Carolina. Because even if North Carolina has one loss, I think that there will be a, like, North Carolina's a basketball school. They don't belong in the playoff, and... Like basically preconceived, like confirmation bias or preconceived notion bias of what people thought North Carolina was going to be this year, as opposed to, yes, I, I think resume wise, you know, a one loss Big 12 team will not has, have played as tough a schedule. Um, 
but I think that the brand name of like a Texas or Oklahoma will get them in over a one loss ACC champion, North Carolina. And a, if a two loss PAC 12 champ has avenged their only loss. Like, I think that would be to me, a two loss PAC 12 champ getting in. The only scenario would be that where it's like a, or like an ACC, if, if Louisville won the ACC championship, right? Like they lose to Pitt, but then they went out the rest of their joke of a schedule and then they beat Florida State in some fluky fashion, right? Like that that could happen. And then you would have, you know, the Pac-12 could get a two-loss conference champ in because everybody might be like, yeah, but it's Louisville and Louisville kind of sucks. Um, mm. So I definitely could see that happening too. Um, I could too. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. To take North Carolina out of the equation. But anyway, yeah, it's interesting. Like, I think that there's a real chance for in the last year of the, is it the, it is the last year, right? It is. Yes. Five. Next year it goes to, uh, to the, that we have like a quintessential, this is why the 14 playoff isn't the best <laughs> scenario. There's a chance. We've already really, had this argument. Like we've already yeah. had years where this has been the case, but just yeah. one more year of that. Yeah. Just to reinforce we're going in the right direction. Yep. Uh, all right, well, let's get into the games this week. Uh, f- picking out the five best games. Not an amazing slate, but still some good games. Uh, up first at noon, Penn State at Ohio State. Penn State's plus four, over-under is 46 and a half. Uh, Mike, I'll let you start off with this one. Uh, I'm going to take Penn State and the under. Like I said, Penn State has covered every spread they've had this year. Um, I don't feel super great about Penn State, uh, but – Plus four is a big number for a game like this. Um, I would agree, and part of me really doesn't believe in Ohio State. Like part of me, yeah, and that's the thing. Like part of part of their wins have been a fluke. It seems like. Yeah, I think that they like they probably shouldn't have beaten Notre Dame. All things like to convert what they convert two third and ten pluses and a fourth on that final drive. Like that, granted, you know, you got to credit Kyle McCord for being able to do it, but it also wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like they Mahomes their way down the field in 13 seconds and scored because they were a high potent offense. Like they, to some extent, they had to get lucky on those plays. Um, and then obviously the the last two plays of the year where they have 10 guys in the field, um, <laughs> where Notre Dame is 10 guys in the field. Yeah. And then like this week, uh, like when we get to our cards, last week I had, um, I had Purdue plus 11 in the first half. And of course, Ohio State scores 20 in the first half and doesn't allow any points. Um, But then Ohio State didn't score again and neither did Purdue. So I was like, it it was so infuriating because I was, I was, I had the right, like right mindset, wrong half. Um, So yeah, like not that impressive. Maybe a look ahead spot to this game. They get ahead and then they just coast and get ready for the following week. Um, but I, I, overall, you're right. I, I don't think that they've necessarily put up the performances that I, that give you a lot of confidence. If you're taking Ohio state, that they're going to win by more than a field goal, like definitively. And that's why, that's why I think I take Penn state with the juice, just because I think that this, uh, this game could really come down to like a field goal or two. I also think the under, Two pretty pretty good defenses. I would say defenses might be the better side of both teams. Um, and so 46 and a half is not a large total, but um, I think that there's a chance that this becomes a real, not rock fight, because, you know, that would imply the offenses are incompetent, but I think it's more of like a slugfest. It's a physical game. Um, like 
there's a chance Ohio State can't move the ball passing and they're like out of running backs. And meanwhile, Penn State may try to shorten the game and control the clock with their two outstanding running backs. Um, I think Drew Aller has the capability to make plays. Uh, so I'm a, like, I don't, re- I wish obviously the total was a little higher. Like I wish it was around 50, but I, I think at 47, I, I could see this game going under. So I'm going to take both Penn state, uh, with the points and the under I'm taking spent 10, uh, Jesus. I'm taking Penn state plus four. I will not be touching the over under. Um, just part of me just thinks that they're going to eke out over 46 and a half. Um, like I think there's I think there's seven touchdowns between these two teams. So um but yeah, I, I agree. I think Penn State I think this feels like a field goal game. Plus four just seems like a little too much. I was never a big reliever in Ohio State. I thought Notre Dame should have won that game. Um, which they didn't because Ohio State believed better. I'm not taking that away from them. I just think Ohio State maybe is looked at a little too favorably because of that win. So give me Penn plus four. Um, next game, Tennessee at Alabama, three thirty kick. Tennessee's eight and a half point underdogs. Over under forty nine. Um, I'll start off here, Mike. I really don't believe Alabama's a very good team this year compared to what they've been. Um, I think they're worse than last year. Um, I think Tennessee is probably worse than last year too. Obviously, I just think that eight and a half seems just a little too high for a 3.30 kick at Alabama. I think this is probably Tennessee keeps it within a touchdown, um, whether that's because this becomes a slugfest or a shootout. Um, you know, hard to say, but I, I see Tennessee keep it within eight and a half here, so I'm going to take Tennessee plus eight and a half. Yeah, I, I looked at this the other way. I think Bama's really starting around into form. I was, you know, I had the lean. I I gave out the lean for them against, um, against Texas A and M. I don't know that they covered that, uh, but they definitely won the game. Or maybe I think if it was two and a half, then they did. Um, but anyway, I, I think Alabama is the better team. I think eight and a half is high, but I also could see a world where because Tennessee's offense has not been the same this year. And I think everybody's sort of associating last year's Tennessee with this year's Tennessee. And I think they're two very different teams. I think Tennessee's defense is playing really well. Um, I'm also, I also don't know how much stock to put into that because it was against Max John, a backup quarterback and Max Johnson and, uh, and uh, at home against uh, a A and M team that we already talked about has had significant problems. Before that, they gave up 20 to South Carolina and a win, but, like, I don't know. It's uh, – I'm just – I'm not convinced. You're right. I don't know necessarily that Alabama is back to being, like, a top five title contending sort of team. I don't think they're that. I think they're probably in, like, the eight to – maybe, like, the six to eight range right now with the potential to yeah. move up. Um, yeah. I think they're a little bit devalued just because of the loss to Texas. Um, but overall – I it's more to me. I'm I'm just as shaky, if not more shaky, that Tennessee is actually good enough to go to Tuscaloosa and win. And remember, like obviously, Alabama is going to be watching clips of how they lost this game last year after a 20 game win streak. Uh, I I don't think they will have forgotten that. This being at home for Alabama, I think, is a huge advantage. Uh, Milrow has been hitting the deep shots um, the past couple weeks, so. I 
I lean Alabama minus uh, eight and a half. I'm not going to take it only because um, the cash is with you in like a major way. Like the public is 59% on uh, public's 51% on Bama, but 74% of the cash is on Tennessee. Yeah. That's um, part of that is what stuck out to me is just following kind of the trends we follow. I, you know, I see some value there in Tennessee plus eight and a half. Yeah, and maybe like maybe it's a people think this is sort of a look at spot to LSU. I don't really believe that. Um, for Alabama, I think it's hard to overlook uh, a team that is ranked is, in the top twenty and right and beat you last SEC year. Game. So like, I, yeah, I don't like to me that split is not that drastic. But I also don't see they like I don't see necessarily the full logic there because I don't think Tennessee has been you know that impressive really. Like they got dominated at Florida, who we know isn't very good. Um, you know, they, they bounced back uh, by beating UTSA, but the last two weeks have been like wins, but not necessarily dominant performances against teams that are worse than Alabama. So like, I don't know. I, I this It's too close on the spread to call. I think no matter what, I, I'd have a hard time seeing, like I just don't believe Tennessee is going to go to Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama. I just it, like – it, it just, I'd be very shocked if that happens. Will they cover? Maybe. I, and that's why I'm away from this game. Um, but I have a very, very difficult time seeing how they go to Alabama with maybe even the worst quarterback. Um, because Milrow is, is scoring uh, against pretty decent defenses, especially Texas A&M. Um, and, and so, yeah, I just, granted, you know, Alabama sort of, slept walk through this game against uh, Arkansas last week, but Arkansas is decent. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I Too too many things going in too many different directions for me to really overplay here. That's fair. Um, next big game of the week, Duke at Florida State. Um, Duke is 14-point underdogs, over-unders 49. I'll come out and say I lean Florida State. I actually probably won't be playing anything here. 14 just seems like a little too much for a ranked Duke team that has not lost um, a bad, like has not had a bad game really yet. Um, so I think that momentum matters and I think they're a pretty darn good team. I don't know about you, Mike. Um, I, I lean Florida State as well, but I think that I wish I had the courage to just to load up on Florida State, but it's just to me, like I said earlier, there's a Florida State clunker coming in here somewhere, and I don't know where it is. And Duke is the kind of team that could give them fits because Elko is a good coach and they they're good defense, which is exactly what I think. Like Florida State is going to catch a team with an underrated defense that is going to give them a different look that they're not prepared for. And I think Jordan Travis is going to have a bad game and they're going to sleepwalk their way to a loss. And I just, I, I don't necessarily think it's this game one because it's at home two because Duke doesn't have their starting quarterback who can actually like if Riley Leonard was playing this game, I think this spread might be under a touchdown to be honest. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it might be six and a half. Um, but without him. And the other thing is Duke, it, I don't know if you've seen these like success like how bad did we get beat charts on Twitter that float around? I haven't. I don't know who the guy is, but he, I shout out to him, whoever he is, go find him. But it's basically, he charts success rate for both teams on like a line graph to show if you won, like the score is only at the bottom, but the chart shows you 
whether or not you actually got as bad, beat as bad as the score indicates. And like Duke had a negative success rate victory last week against NC State. Like they got outplayed by NC State and lost or, or, and won the game. And that's pure, like I think it's mostly because Riley Leonard just isn't there and they're not nearly as dynamic offensively without him. So, uh, yeah. Uh, like I said, I think Florida State is going to catch a loss somewhere in here. Is it this week? Probably not. I, I think um, I think that's also a problem because Duke is ranked. Like if Duke weren't ranked and Leonard was – they had lost the game but Leonard was healthy, this would be a perfect spot to say lay the – you know, take the points with Duke, sprinkle a money line, and there's a chance that they go in and get a victory here. But I think it's just Duke's not the team right now um, based on the health of their quarterback position – and just sort of the way they've played recently to, to go down there and do it. I like Miami going there later in the year might be a good spot for that. Even they Florida state travels to Pitt, but Pitt just had their, like, we're going to beat a team. We're not supposed to game um, against Louisville. And then they've got to go to Florida, which I think there's a chance Billy Napier just goes all out for that one. So like one of those games, they're going to sleepwalk their way through. I just don't know which one it is, but I don't think it's this game where it's two ranked teams. I would agree with that. Um, I just don't, I don't, I mean, it seems like a very good number at 14 because I don't know that I feel comfortable either way with it. Um, which is why it's a lean. Uh, but I do agree. I don't know that you sleepwalk in this, but I also don't know that Duke isn't a good team that would scoff at the fact that there are 14 point dogs here. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, there's definitely, like I said, there's definitely a world where 14, like, Elko covers this easily. Like, yeah, we look at this and we go, what the hell, 14? What were we thinking? Yeah, they, yeah, exactly. Like, there's a world where this game's like 21-14 and it was like 14-14 for three quarters and Florida State scores late to win the game. Like, it's there's definitely a world where that happens. Um, it's just, to me, I don't know that necessarily Duke's got the horses in this game to go beat, the, especially at night. Like, if this were a 12 o'clock kick and it were like a little bit of a, a sleepier game, I would feel better about taking Duke, but not not in this spot. Mm-hmm. Um, next big game of the week, Utah USC. So Cam Rising, not sure if he's going to be playing. I would guess not, given that Utah's plus seven over under is fifty six. But I think, given USC's performance last week, I, I can't say that USC fans would be confident in this game. Would you say, Mike? No, I don't think they. I, I I don't think they can be confident in any game for the rest of the year. I mean, like, there's a chance. Like, maybe that was just the worst game that Caleb Williams is going to play for the rest of his college career. Um, you know, it's certainly possible. But regardless, even if he plays better, like the you just they made an offense. And granted, they you know a bunch of short. I think. Chip Patterson on cover three said that Notre Dame had 21 points off of either defensive touchdowns or short fields. Like Sam Hartman only threw for 130 yards. So it, like, it's not necessarily that they made Notre Dame's offense look great, but they gave like the offense for USC gave them the opportunities to pull away. Um, so yeah, I like I, this Lincoln Riley's just got flaws, man. Like this is similar to, yeah. He's like better Mario Cristobal because he actually gets to the playoff. He just doesn't have the horses up front ever to win those games. Um, and unfortunately for him, he's going to the Big Ten where 
everybody's got the horses up front to beat them. So, and Utah has them too. I just, after losing to them twice last year, USC losing to them twice last year, coming off their worst performance probably of the past two years, like, because the only two games they lost were, or they, I guess they lost it to Lane Bowl game. But all those mm-hmm. games were close. I wouldn't say that's a bad game, though. They just had yeah, they, like, they bad luck at the end. Yeah, so it's just – it's more like they played really competitive in those games across the board. Caleb got hurt in the Pac-12 championship game, obviously. So, like, I – it's more, you know, rising coming off an injury, can he get it done going – like, USC is going to be pissed off about losing to, uh, to Notre Dame. They're going to be pissed off about the noise. I am on USC minus seven, and I hate it. Like, I'm holding my nose. I want to throw up because I don't think that USC is a contender at all. I was very wrong about them going into the season. I denounce any contender status that I placed on them beforehand. I just think this is the kind of spot where there's a – because if USC gets out fast, like, I don't think Utah can catch up. Now, will they? Tough to say because if if they show up the way they did last week, they're not going to beat anybody. But – if USC can score quickly and early, which they haven't really started fast many times this year, um, there's certain like I, I just don't know that Utah is going to be able to play their way back into the game, and so I'm going to take USC with the points, um, just in a bounce back spot without a healthy Cam Rising. Even if he does play, like he, I don't know that he'll he'll be the same player. His mobility was a big um, part of his game, so I uh, yeah, I'm going to go with. Uh, USC laying seven. We're on opposite sides. I'm taking uh, Utah. I think if Utah wants to make a run at the Pac-12 championship, this is when you got to turn it up. Um, I think there's still a path for them to do that. And I think if they want it bad enough, they're going to come out of this game. They're going to come firing off. Now, whether they win or not, off of a bad USC, coming off a bad USC loss, essentially, for USC, um, Remains to be seen, obviously, but I'm going to take them plus seven. Um, Utah's a very good team. They play scrappy, even with a backup quarterback. I mean, this line is partially, you don't know if Rising's going to be ready to go. Um, I like it, even if he's not, honestly, with how scrappy Utah can be. Um, So I'll take Utah plus seven there all day, any day. Um, And then I don't have anything for the over-under. Yeah, I don't have anything to total either. The only thing I see, I, I tried to find out while we were, you know, obviously talking. Uh, the Salt Lake Tribune published an article today, uh, shout out to Eric Walden, uh, contemplating, and somebody asked Kyle Whittingham about it, uh, whether both Rising and Brent Cuthy, who is their, like, the tight end not named Dalton Kincaid from last year, um, whether medical red shirts are on the table for them for this year. So that, like... I don't know. Like, I don't think this Eric Walden is a beat reporter for Utah. Um, he might be, but like, they're if they're talking about medical red shirts, that doesn't sound promising for either of those guys to play this week. And if they're not playing, I love USC minus seven, despite the fact that I hate USC as a team. I don't hate it. Um, okay, last game of the week. Last big game of the week. Uh, Clemson at Miami, 8 p.m. kickoff as well. Clemson's three-and-a-half-point favorite at Miami. Over-under is 48-and-a-half. I lean Miami here, Mike. I'm Um, taking Miami. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, one, I think Clemson's bad, and two, I think you have a genuine get-off-the-mat game where if 
Miami has any hope whatsoever of not letting the past two games crush their souls. This is the game you come out and do it. And I think despite the criticisms we've had towards Cristobal, it's, it's his coaching decisions, not his coaching that's failing him, right? Like he's not a bad coach. He prepares his guys. Well, it's just his brain turns to scrambled eggs sometimes in like late game situations when you have to make a genuinely good decision and you decide to run the ball instead. Um, so I'll take Miami here plus three and a half at home against a, a Clemson team that just isn't to my taste anymore. Truly. Um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I think this is like the bowl of two coaches who are probably not as good as everybody likes to think they are. Um, because like Dabo Dabo was out here saying this week that he wants fans off the bandwagon. Um, which like what <laughs> and, uh yeah. he's got some of the weirdest press clubs you'll ever see and or hear and like and i agree i don't know necessarily how good they are because they did they went up and beat syracuse um at syracuse and schrader wasn't 100 percent healthy throughout that entire game but that game was a was pretty competitive most of the way now syracuse was at home you expect it to be competitive but then Syracuse went on the road and got curb stomped by North Carolina and followed that up the following week by getting curb stomped again by uh, Florida State. Mm-hmm. So, like, from what we know, Syracuse is not good at all. And Clemson definitely didn't overwhelm them. And so I think I think Miami – yeah, it's weird because Miami has had the heartbreaker against Georgia Tech – and then they come out last week and they play pretty well, which I think overall is an encouraging performance, right? They got they ultimately got beat by a more experienced team that's more well-rounded in North Carolina. But they didn't, like you said, they didn't necessarily play bad, definitely didn't play bad the entire game. I mean, they were leading at halftime. So it um it go like I think Miami's probably playing better right now. It's like the only thing that scares me about Miami in this spot, especially being a home dog, like Mario better get his guys going for this game. I, I am way low. I'm, I think I might be lower on Mario than you are. And the only, the only other thing that scares me here is like Clemson is a team, especially defensively that has dudes up front. And this is the kind of scenario where we've seen it before in the past where Miami or like Mario Cristobal teams just get dominated. Now that didn't happen in, against Texas A&M which is an encouraging sign. And that game was at home too, and a big spot. And Mario's offensive line played very well, but they went to North Carolina last week with presumably the superior offensive line and defensive line, because before entering last week, they had the best rush defense in the ACC and one of the best offensive lines. And they got dominated on both sides of the ball. Uh, I think Camarion mm-hmm. Rucker had three sacks and Marion Hampton ran for like 200 yards. So that's what scares me about this game taking Miami, but I will still take Miami plus the points at home because I think Clemson is just kind of mid and I think Miami is going to be desperate for a win too. So I think the motivation is more with Miami. I'll take Miami here. Along, I, if you're leaning it, lean it, but I, I'm taking them plus three and a half. I might take a money line too. Uh, this is a lean in the sense that it depends how the rest of the day has gone, um, but I'll probably <laughs> be taking Miami here. Um, all right. I'm going to run through my picks in a rapid fashion here, and then you can follow suit. Um, I'm going with uh, New Mexico State minus three against UTEP. UTEP's at home. Um, this is a 
just a percentage play here, uh, 80% of the tickets, but 95% of the cash. And I'm going to be bored on Wednesday. So I'm going to want to watch that. Uh, I think UTEP has really struggled. I thought they'd be much better. New Mexico state seems to be doing okay this year. Um, so in an okay, technically primetime game, give me the team, uh, that's favored in college football. And there's a couple sharps that are picking it too. Memphis minus five and a half, um, against UAB Memphis coming off a, a bad loss to Tulane. One of the, one of the Memphis players got suspended for a game for, uh, cup checking a two-lane player uh, for which he was disqualified during the game. But uh, give me them bouncing back against UAB. UAB is average. Memphis is pretty good. Um, Missouri undefeated, almost almost undefeated Missouri. Um, minus six and a half. Uh, I like Missouri. Missouri kind of low-key uh, handling themselves within the uh, SEC. Um, so I, I'm going to look for them to keep rolling here, uh, playing South Carolina at home. Um, you know, they're a pretty darn good team. I think the LSU loss really hurt them um, as far as perception, but I think Missouri is actually like a, a borderline New Year's Six worthy team. Um, and if they can handle South Carolina, I don't love this because it is a look ahead, um, kind of, because uh, their next game's at Georgia, but that game is in two weeks. They have a bye between then and now. So uh, I'm going to still take Missouri minus six. Give me two lane minus 20 and a half. Uh, they've been dominant. They are the best G5 team. They're going to keep rolling. I expect to see them in the New York Six Bowl. So I'll take Tulane minus 20.5. UTSA minus 3.5. This is one of the later games, I believe, in the slate. But uh, UTSA has been playing very well. They've been playing pretty well for the past couple weeks. Um, Kind of an up-and-coming program. They're playing Florida Atlantic at Florida. 50% of the tickets, 57% of the tickets, but 92% of the cash. Um, and then my big play of the week, LSU Army, under 57 and a half. Uh, LSU is going to score. Army is not going to score. And I think if LSU gets up by about four touchdowns, which I expect, um, I don't know that Army is going to keep really trying to score. I think they're going to look to run out the clock and just accept defeat uh, playing a much better team. So give me the under 57 and a half. I don't see how Army keeps pace to get that to the over, especially running a triple option, bleeding the clock dry. Mike? Um, I uh, We talked about Penn State plus uh, mm-hmm. four and the under 47. Uh, I'm on Rutgers minus five at Indiana. Only thing that scares me is a noon kick, but I think, Rucker or sorry, Indiana has uh, already played Ohio State, Michigan, lost to both, got dominated in every other game pretty much. Their season's over. Rutgers plays hard. Um, Rutgers is the better team. They should win. Give me Rutgers minus five. Ninety-one percent of the cash, I believe, on that game mm-hmm. uh, on Rutgers. Um, just double checking that right now. Yeah, ninety-one percent compared to eighty-one percent of the tickets. So uh, sharps agree with me. I'm going to take Oklahoma minus nineteen. And the under 65. Um, Vegas doesn't agree with me on Oklahoma minus 19. They have UCF uh, at 79%, uh, along with UCF being 67% of the tickets. This isn't a look-ahead spot for Oklahoma, and they had a bye week, so it's not a letdown. UCF just lost to Kansas by 30. Um, And granted, Jalen Daniels was back for that game, but Oklahoma has been... Like I said, they're one of two teams, the other being Penn State that has covered every single game. Um, mm. John Reese Plumley might be back, but I don't know that that necessarily matters that much for UCF. Um, I Granted, yeah, there's totally a chance that UCF keeps this game close, but I, I still think 
Oklahoma's defense is playing really well. Plumlee is coming off the couch. He's going to be somewhat rusty. So I like this is not the ideal spot for an injured John Reese Plumlee to step back in and give Oklahoma a game. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to take the under 65 because th- like that spread indicates two things. Or like I see this game going one of two ways. One, UCF keeps it close, and that's probably because Gabriel struggles, not because this game turns into a shootout, even though John Reese Plumlee is coming back. This the other outcome is that Oklahoma does all the scoring and UCF does none of it. In which case, uh, under 65 feels like the play either way because this is either a lower scoring close game than it probably other would otherwise be, or it's a blowout and you're not going to hit the total in a blowout. So, uh, especially one that's at 65. So, give me uh, Oklahoma and the under there. I am. I don't want to take a side on the South Carolina Missouri game just because South Carolina has been playing frisky and losing close games. Obviously, uh, Shane Beamer broke his foot kicking something in frustration after losing at home to Florida, um, which is very funny. And Paul Feinbaum got all mad about it, but that's such a boomer take. Um, either way, I'm not going to take either of those. I'm going to take the over 60. Both of these offenses can score. Both of these defenses have not played very well. Uh, 99% of the cash is on the over. Um, and it, somehow, it like I see it at 60, I see it at 59 and a half. Like, depending on where you can get it, this is actually less than 60 points, which for two teams that consistently score a lot is kind of crazy. Um, and Vegas sort of agrees. So I'm going to take the over there. I'm going to take UNC minus 23 and a half. Uh, this is such a letdown spot, but they don't have, like, they get Campbell next week. So there's not like a look ahead here. And uh, UNC has just been playing very professional games, and Virginia is really bad. So, like, um, or what would ordinarily be a look at spot, UNC has has dominated better teams than Virginia at home. And I like Calandria is not playing. It's Tony Musket. They don't have a chance to to really go deep. Even if UNC starts slow, there still isn't a reason why they shouldn't win by four scores. So give me uh, give me North Carolina even laying the twenty three and a half. Um, we talked about Miami. We talked about USC. My last play is Arizona State plus twenty six and a half. I know Washington is good. I, I believe they're very good. This is purely just a letdown spot for Washington and not in like they're in any danger of losing this game, but it's a, it's a late night game on the West coast. It's obviously not going to be that competitive. Arizona state's been quietly playing a lot better than they did early in the year. Um, even though they're severely injured and I think they're coming off a bye. um, which to me all points to uh, they are going to give uh, Washington somewhat of a football game. This feels sort of like a first half spot too, but I'm going to take them uh, total game. Uh, yeah, they lost by three to Colorado. They lost by three to Cal. Um, and they lost by, what is that, 14 to USC in their last three games. So, like, they're playing – Dillingham has them playing competitive football. Um, they're not winning – but they're playing competitive football. And I think that's probably what happens here. So I'm going to take Arizona state plus 26 and a half. I think that's probably the reason why this isn't like 28 and a half is because Arizona state's been playing better. I'll still take them to stay within 21. I don't hate it. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, that's been our roundup for this week, college football week eight, um, like, and subscribe. And thank you for, uh, listening.